0: Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset
1: Podcast. Your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host,
0: Nutrition Network Advisor and author of The Nourishment Mindset, Dixie
1: Huey. Transformation Tuesday, y'all. We are upon Thanksgiving, which is my favorite holiday because I don't like fretting or doing the gifting or anything. I just love the pleasures of the table. And I just want to say today, I'm so excited for my guest, Michelle Hearn. She is a pioneer in the world of nutrition, especially because she is a registered dietitian. To me, she's like a rebel. And Michelle, I like rebels so much that I have that tattoo. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) This is actually my my former Newfoundland. She lives here now. Um, But anyway, no, a rebel coming from me is a huge compliment. So you had my attention from the second you stepped on stage last winter at Low Carb Boca. A lot of these conferences. It's interesting. It's very scientific. There's all kinds of papers and there's arguments and everything, but you were this breath of fresh air, this like real human, authentic, vulnerable. And your talk was so different because here you were talking about your struggles with eating and how we need to basically in that low carb world, open up our mind, our eyes and our hearts, just to be beyond to me, just sort of the, you know, how low can I go or all the other arguments, meet, not meet, blah, blah, blah. So you're the exact kind of person that I wanna speak to here with this metabolic mission to reverse chronic lifestyle disease. And almost, I mean, that's super important, but as important to me is pleasures of the table. Like we should enjoy nourishing ourselves. Um, and Michelle, you're a badass. You're an ultra runner, <laughs> complete <laughs> badass. Thank you. Run, eat meat, repeat. You are powered by meat, and your book is awesome, y'all. This is Dietitian's Dilemma. There is fabulous Michelle on the cover, and you open <laughs> this book, you say, "What would you do if your health was restored by doing the exact opposite?" Of what you were taught. Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for that introduction. I appreciate that.
1: So you had to recover your health by doing the opposite of what you were taught. T- tell us about that. What does that even mean?
0: Yeah, gosh, you know, if I can kind of give you the quick reader's digest version of, you know, my story, I, uh, you know, my health journey really began when I was in you know, 12 years old. I was diagnosed with anorexia, was five feet tall, 57 pounds, you know, put in inpatient treatment for two months, um, was put on a 24 hour two feeding system, was given about a 10% chance to survive, you know, immediately fed the standard American diet. Um, and I did regain weight at that point, you know, but I was told as a 12 year old, like, Hey, you know what, you're going to deal with this your whole life. You're constantly going to be having anxiety, depression, racing thoughts around food. You know, when I was in treatment, I was put on seven different prescription medications, And they were right, you know, I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to become this very high functioning human with an eating disorder. And, you know, throughout high school and college, you know, I struggled, I often went through periods where I would, you know, relapse, I would lose weight. Um, And then I did also, I became an athlete, but because I had low bone density, I had several stress fractures. And I thought if I could become a dietitian, you know, maybe I could help not only help other people with this, what what I'd went through, but I think a lot of people who, you know, are searching for, you know, who go through experiences in life, like you're kind of trying to figure out your own health. Like, how can I, can I heal myself with food? You know, because I knew I had gone from, you know, being very underweight and very sick to at a point where I was weight restored, but I also was still suffering. You know, I felt for most of my life, I kind of felt like I was standing on the sidelines of my own life. You know, I was plagued by anxiety I had periods of chronic depression, you know, as um, recent as 2017, you know, really struggling with suicidal ideation, you know, pondering, taking my own life. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I became a dietitian and immediately, you know, things didn't make sense. Things in healthcare did not make sense. For example, we'd go in the room that somebody with type 2 diabetes and my preceptor would say okay, we're going to teach them how to eat carbohydrates consistently throughout the day. (laughs) Like, oh wait, um, isn't their blood sugar high? Well, yeah. Well, shouldn't we have them not eat so many carbohydrates? So I would just ask questions. And my, you know, preceptors would get so frustrated. Like I was kind of pegged as this difficult dietetic student, like, no, and that's one of the issues as a dietitian, We are taught, not just taught, like indoctrinated, like very from the time, the first class you take, like, Carbohydrates are the foundation of human nutrition. Carbohydrates are important for everything. You know, you'll your brain will be dead if you don't have carbohydrates. Um, and then, you know, I'll never forget going into the ICU during our ICU rotation and flipping over the bag of tube feeding and being like, "Oh my God, these are the same ingredients I was fed as a 12 year old." And this point, I'm 24, and now I'm almost 40. So we're talking. You know, <laughs> you're, decades later, and it's still the same. We are feeding people who can't take food by mouth. Um, You know, number one ingredient: maltodextrin, corn syrup solids, soy protein—very inflammatory ingredients. Are so there I just in
1: there, Michelle. Yeah, canola, canola oil yes. is the number one. That's, that's my rule on this podcast. Every single one, I have to. Bitch
0: about
1: seed oils.
0: Seed Well, and so like I would just ask, you know, I'd say, hey, is this the best way to feed somebody who's been in a traumatic car accident or maybe has a nose or mouth cancer? And I once again, preceptors would say, Hey, it's about calories. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. They need to get enough protein and calories. And so, but you're new, right? You're a student, you're like, okay, I'm learning, okay. Uh, but you know, at, when I became a dietitian, I just saw this revolving door of sickness, you know, my patients with diabetes, you know, come in and you're in acute care. So you don't have much time with people. They come in with a diabetic infection a month later, and now we're amputating their leg or they have heart disease or now they're in chronic kidney failure. And it became, it became distressing. You know, it's like you, you go into healthcare and I want to really emphasize that every person I've met in healthcare, nurses, doctors, every person genuinely cares, like it's rare to find somebody. I mean, (laughs) you might find someone who's kind of burnt out, but people go into that field because they want to help people, you know, but you, when you get in there, you're like, this system is not helping people, you know? And so, but it really, like you said, it wasn't until 2019 that I lost my own house. So that's when I figured out like, oh my God, this is when I'm going to you know, that's when I basically changed what I was doing nutritionally. And I had no idea if you had told me it was going to have as big of an impact on my life as it, as it has, I would have told you you're a So I was like, no way,
1: <laughs> but yeah, that, that was the big turning point for me. And so as if folks have not yet Read. I got my copy on Amazon. Is that the best place to get it? Michelle? Yeah, yeah. That's the place. So if they haven't read this, what is this dilemma? This thing that helped you recover your health, this thing where you're doing the opposite of what you <laughs> thought and what you kind of had to teach people. What is that? Can you spoil can we spoiler a little
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, most most people are, are taught from the time you're very young in elementary school, you know, you see the food pyramid and now the my plate. And we're taught, like, that's how we're supposed to eat. And so, like I said, for my whole life, that's how I ate. And I became an endurance athlete and a marathon runner. And I was eating a ton of carbohydrates. lots And not, you know, lots of whole grains, lots of oatmeal, lots of whole grain bread, lots of sweet potatoes. Yeah, healthy whole grains, lots of chicken, lots of salads. And I was miserable. You know, my anxiety, the period, I was on lots of prescription medication. I am... you know, sometimes I'd have panic attacks, I'd have to miss work, and my body often hurt. But, um, yeah, cause in 2019, I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon and I just, everything went from bad to worse. Like my health was terrible, everything hurt. And so after reaching out to a few sports dietitians, you know, they told me you need to eat more carbohydrates. <laughs> and We're so you can imagine, <laughs> going from 400 to 500 to 550 grams. Like I was getting cold sweats. I was, you know, you'd go from feeling euphoric to feeling depressed. And, you know, I basically had a come to Jesus moment where I came home from work early, you know, passed out on the couch at like two o'clock and woke up and it just felt like my whole body was on fire, like everything hurt. And so two in the morning, you know, I was just out of answers. Like I did not know what to do. And I think a lot of people who are, you know, in pain, like whether you have diabetes or you're obese or you're depressed. Like we've tried, we tried everything that doctors have told us to do. We've tried therapy, we've tried prescription medication, we've tried changing our diet and nothing is working. And so I'm at that point standing in my kitchen, like I do not have answers, you know? And so I, you know, I grabbed my car keys, drove to 7-Eleven and got two in the morning, got 30 pounds of ice and just put it in the bathtub. And I'm just sitting in this ice bath crying. That's and pretty. And that's when, <laughs> you know, that's when my wife walked in and is like, you know, maybe we should do something different. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm never running again. This is stupid. Um, I'm too old. And yeah, if you had told me like, hey, you know what? This day is going to change your life. I would have told you like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <Nice bathroom. laughs> but I remember thinking like, well, if I'm not going to run, why don't I reduce my carbohydrates? You know, I intuitively knew they weren't making me feel well, but it had just been so deeply ingrained into me that Awesome. Yes. You're Well, even just as a functioning human, oh, your hormones will, you know, not work. Oh, your brain won't work. Um, and so I decided. I was like, "You know what? I'm just going to do a low carbohydrate diet for 30 days." The opposite of everything I had been told. You know, as a dietitian, I was told it was a fad diet, it was bad for your heart. Um, and then I stumbled upon the carnivore diet, you know, which is a completely animal based, no carbohydrate diet. And I remember like laughing, like, oh, this is totally nuts. But I took it kind of like a step beyond that and saying like, okay, well, this is very different than what I'm doing. And, you know, you get online and you start reading and you're like, you know, some of these people online look, look pretty happy and pretty healthy. And I'm definitely not happy and healthy. And so, you know, I reached out to a few, few doctors in the community, you know, and kind of shared my story and. Um I'm very grateful. You know people like Dr. Westman, Dr. Ben Bickman, um just shared some papers with me. Said, "Hey, you're a dietitian, look at these papers on ketogenic diets and diabetes." Like that I had never come across that. That was never taught to me as a dietitian, like how effective they were, how safe these diets were, how sustainable. And so yeah, I decided I was going to um, you know, follow the opposite of everything I was taught. I was going to eat meat and fat. I did still drink coffee. And coffee for 30 days and see how that impacted my health. And? <laughs> you well, you know, for you people running? who are, uh, <laughs> I got to tell my wife, I am like this is what I want to do. And she was like, the hell you are. This is not happening. And, you know, to be fair, I, you know, I have a history of a pretty serious eating disorder. And our society says that if you eliminate certain food groups, it's eating disordered. You thought about it. She cried. And finally, she was just like, whatever. You're an adult. You're gonna quit, and I can't even tell you why I felt so um, drawn to it. And my only like thought was like maybe this extra protein will help my muscles because my, my my body hurts like hurt, hurt beyond you know I've run my whole life like hurt beyond what running you know should feel like. And it was definitely kind of weird. I was still working in the hospital setting at this time, so you know you go in with all these women dietitians and they're eating their bagels and oatmeal, and I've got this like big bowl of meat. I'm like that's different, you know, for breakfast. <laughs> but Hard I noticed
1: snack right, on a plate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I noticed right away that I, um, um, uh, I wasn't hungry, which was like kind of a miracle. Cause I used to eat, I mean, at least eight times a day, you know, you're constantly snacking constantly looking at your watch. Um, is it time for lunch? Is it time for snack? Like, and then, um, about the third or fourth day, I noticed like my body didn't hurt. And I, but I was like, Oh, that, that must be because uh, I'm not running. Like it's first time in my life, taking a minute, not running, but then kind of the the big turning point came at riot right around three weeks. You know, I came home from work and my wife is literally like sitting there on the couch and was like, Will you come here for a second. And, you know, you never want to hear <laughs> that. You walk in the door. It's like, oh, no, did well, die? what did I do? What did, what <laughs> did I do? Uh, but, she, you know, she was like, I don't I don't know what's happening. Like, I, I don't know if I like how you're eating, but this is the best your anxiety has been in the 11 years that I've known now, Just 11 percent. years and three weeks. And that's when we both were kind of like, whoa, like, what is going on? Because we knew, I knew that was true. I knew I was calm. I was sleeping. My attitude had shifted from being, like I said, anxious and, you know, dealing with panic attacks to being very, like, go with the flow, like just a <laughs> different human. Um, and that's what, you know, I'm really, like I said, I'm grateful that I, I just had so many, um, you know, health professionals willing to direct me towards research and, you know, Dr. Chris Palmer, Dr. Georgia Ede. Um, Cause like I said, I knew I felt better, but I didn't know why. So yeah. I'm looking at what does the research say? Like I had no idea, you no know, part of my theory is, I mean, we certainly know that just stabilizing the blood sugar, you know, with protein and fat can reduce anxiety. But I also think, and we know, I mean the number one mineral deficiency worldwide is iron. And so for the first time in my life, I'm getting a ton of iron, you know, I'm getting all this meat but I'm also not eating so much oats or at that point, none oats and grains and things to bind with it. You know, I'm not taking in all this fiber and this phytic acid, but all these things, you know, once again, I thought I needed, I thought I had to have fiber and I had to have these whole grains. And so, you know, I, I decided like, okay, this, this is clearly working and this is clearly improving my health. And, uh, you know, I kind of naively thought, wow, maybe they'll let me teach this in the hospital. I can go, to, you know, teach. we have this research articles on low carb. They don't want to know this They're going to want to know. It's going to help people heal. <laughs> yeah, that definitely did not happen. You know, you're in most large hospital institutions, you're not allowed to teach low carb guidelines. You know, you can literally lose your license or get suspended. I was told that right away like, absolutely not. Um, yeah, so obviously that's challenging because once you get your health back, you know, you can't unsee it. And yeah. uh, and then I, yeah, yeah.
1: Wow. What a story. Good for you. You know, folks, sometimes we just have to try something new and that, that has to be harder for someone who's had it like drilled into her head that carbohydrates are what keeps your brain alive. You know, you risk your life, not <laughs> <new> carbohydrates, <laughs> but you knew something was wrong. So that's that, like, that's that gut instinct that... You know, I think a lot of things in this modern life pull us away from trusting that instinct, but it is there. Um, and to be clear, folks, I am not saying that people should never eat carbohydrates. What I am saying is that the, the dogma, the diet dogma out there uh, leaves a lot um, to be questioned. And that people should experiment and do what is right for them. I certainly feel much better, more blood sugar stable, all of that on a high protein, very low carbohydrate diet. So I feel you, that may not be for everyone, but for for us too, that's what works. So it sounds like then, now I understand this transformation for you came after your dietetic school because- one of the problems I had when I decided I wanted to get in this healthcare space, because I had to share this sort of like you at the hospital, was okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to grad school. And then I realized I'm going to be a pain in the ass in grad school, and I probably won't make it through because what I'm going to be taught, I'm not going to agree with. And I'm going to be that guy or that gal always, you know, questioning and arguing. And so I had to do my. Well, I had to, I chose to do my training through the nutrition network in South Africa, because that's a low carbohydrate, high fat school, if you will, for practitioners. So you didn't have to be that gal in uh, (laughs) school. You became that gal after school. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I, I got, I
0: became a dietitian in 2009. So yeah, I definitely was, was in the kind of traditional dietetics for many years before I you know, it's <laughs> all the light for lack of a better word. And yeah, no, I agree with you too, that, you know, there's, there's, um, there's some confusion I think in the low carb community that it's like, Oh, you have to be zero carb or no carb all the time. And I think, you know, when it comes to our nutrition in general, I think, you know, like all species humans, humans are a species, we have a species specific diet, but it definitely can ebb and flow depending on your goals, you know, like, Obviously for somebody like myself, who, you know, is a long distance runner, I'm going to eat differently than somebody who potentially maybe is inactive or in a type two diabetic, you know? So there's some, definitely some nuance to it. I feel like the foundation is similar for most people. Most people are going to do much better eating an animal-based diet just because the protein, the fat, the vitamins and minerals are so bioavailable, meaning our body can use and absorb them very well. (laughs) Exactly. Very nutrient dense, very easy to absorb. Um, but then when it comes to whole food carbohydrates, I think how many you're going to have, how often really depends on a lot of factors, you know, are you metabolically healthy? Are you active? Are you growing? You know, so there's definitely
1: some nuance there. Right. Imagine that it's not black and white. And I know people want it to
0: be, (laughs) but it's not.
1: So you and I have some things in common. One one is loving to work out. I'm no ultra anything, but uh, fitness, very important. Food, important. We also um, have the disordered eating background, Um, a, a real admiration for Mrs. Nina Teicholz. And I also see that you and I both have a true distaste for the U.S. dietary Guidelines in my book, nourishment mindset. I go back to the old school guidelines that, frankly, effed me up. The, what I call the piece of shit food pyramid. But you just posted the other day about the guidelines. Just here's a dietitian, y'all, and you know I say this all the time: screw the guidelines. They're not meant. You know, eighty-eight percent of us are metabolically unhealthy, so they don't even apply anymore. But what say you on? These government guidelines. Should we be following. Should we be doing my plate? My least thing about my plate is it says protein. You know, it wouldn't yeah. dare say meat.
0: What is well? That- I gotta. I gotta tell you. First of all, we we have an updated study from the eighty-eight percent, and now it's and now it's ninety-three percent statistically. So only seven percent of us are metabolically healthy. Well, um,
1: so that's the that- opposite of an A. Right. Right. Like a super F. It was already an F and now it's almost F minus. So okay. Yeah. Yes. Seven percent. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I mean for your listeners too, I feel like one thing that's very frightening for as a, a US population is the fastest growing uh, demographic of obese humans is children, ages two to five. But yeah, the nutrition guidelines are a total nightmare. You know, they're they're not designed for health. Um, you know, it's no one in our country should have type two diabetes. We, we, you guys, we can reverse this in weeks. I've I had patients that were type two diabetic for decades. The guidelines are not science-based. They are corporation-based. There's so much money. I mean, most people I think kind of know like, Oh yeah, it's money. No, there are astronomical amounts of money invested into, you know, keeping people sick and there's no money in health. You know, if we get, if we reverse type 2 diabetes and obesity and chronic kidney disease and heart failure we're going to put a lot of companies especially prescription medications like insulin out of business. So these guidelines are yeah, they're ridiculous. The study I posted, I mean I literally laughed out loud because you know, I was taught as a dietitian it's like, oh, it's not that the guidelines are the problem, it's that people aren't following the guidelines. Yeah, non-compliance just, humans. Non-compliance was blaming the patient. But you know what, in my, um, and obviously there's some exceptions, but I practiced for 11 years and most people were really trying to follow the guidelines, eating, you know, brown rice and chicken. The problem is when you eat like that, you're hungry all the time. You know, you literally are setting yourself up to have, you know, blood sugar spikes and crashes and, you know, all these ultra processed foods, you know, they override our body and brain's ability to stop eating them. And so so the study came out and they basically had people follow the guidelines to a T like, and this was a, you know, randomized double study. Like, so one of the best well-designed study, this wasn't like a food frequency questionnaire where they just ask questions. Like this was That's a very st- strict study. Um, so they had people follow the guidelines for eight weeks or they had people just kind of do whatever they like. They were monitoring what they did but they actually ate at least three and a half servings of highly processed foods. And in the study, they list them as fast food hamburgers, cheesecake, jelly belly, like basically just kind of what the typical person eats junk. And then they measured, you know, they looked at their glucose and their blood lipids and they were like, oh no, (laughs) both groups were the same. There was no improvement. You were literally you were better off, you know, I I don't want to say you're better off eating the junk food diet. I mean, you were, you were equally as, as sick doing either one, you know, so it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, these guidelines are not designed for health. Um, they never were, you know, obviously, you know, the history of them. Um, and so the, the more, you know, when they came out in 1980, we've seen every single chronic disease across the board increase, you know, and not, not just kind of increase, not like, Oh, five to 10%. I'm talking exponentially. We've seen type two diabetes, heart disease, major depression, major anxiety disorders, um, you know, cancer, all kinds of things increase. And uh, you know, so much of disease comes down to, you know, how you're fueling your body. And of course there's other factors, there's sleep and stress and other things, but You know, I just, one, one factor that we can all, that we have some control over is how we're eating, how we're fueling our bodies. And so, you know, it's obviously my opinion and my advocacy and my research that if we want to heal as a nation, we have to start, you know, stabilizing our blood sugar, eating highly bioavailable nutrition and eliminating processed foods. And you like, you know, you and I have done the best way to do that is through a, a low carbohydrate animal based diet.
1: Hallelujah, y'all, right? (laughs) There it is. So on one hand, it's super bummer. You know, we're getting an F minus and all of our disease, you know, chronic lifestyle diseases are skyrocketing. But the awesome thing, I wish I had a fork with me when I eat my pen, is you can heal yourself with your fork pin, one bite at a time. So that puts the control back in in your hands. So Yeah, and I think one of the beautiful things about it is it doesn't really take that long
0: you know, I mean, obviously if you've been massively ill for decades, it's not going to be an overnight process, but I mean, I struggled with anxiety for 20 years, you know? And so three weeks, three weeks, it was massively better. And we, we know, I mean, we have studies that as soon as 14 days, you can start to see, um, insulin sensitivity improve with type two diabetics. And so we can like completely reverse diabetes in months, you know? So
1: Right. And that's the thing I I like to emphasize with my clients too, is because some of them have kind of an extraordinary amount of weight that they would like to lose. And that can be very overwhelming. But what's under the hood, as you said, can be improved in a matter of days and weeks. And so that's already a massive win. You know, people love to celebrate their scale victories I'm the one over here like look at that a1c look at that fat <laughs> insulin so it's like the nerdy you know it's not just the scale y'all it's it's what's under that hood so let's switch gears a little bit um so I'm someone I mentioned the eating disorder thing we talked about yours I was this what I'll call failed anorexic I tried I was not as strong as you I had to turn bulimic <laughs> I started benching. So I was, I, I couldn't pull the trigger. So I was a, uh, laxative and exercise bulimic. So that that's like extremely time consuming. Um, and to use a horrible pun, I received a lot of shitty advice. Um, what you've mentioned eating every few hours, downing whole grains. So why does this bad advice persists? You know, I'm so interested in how the body heals metabolically, but also especially from an eating disorder. One of the huge things that helped me in addition to real whole foods was lifting weights and getting stronger, which helped me mentally, et cetera. So I guess it's two questions. Why does this bad advice persist? And then what do you think on the uh, flip side are the things that if someone is struggling either with overweight underweight eating disorder disordered eating what what can they do what do you recommend yeah and those are great questions and
0: it's a really hard and scary topic you know and I feel like anytime I talk about it I have to always kind of disclaim that like you know if you are changing how you eat I do think it behooves you to be working with a healthcare professional you know especially somebody who's well informed with like you know low carbohydrate education if you are looking to do something differently than this this standard treatment so the the standard treatment for somebody with you know binge eating disorder bulimia anorexia is all the same it's going to be to eat all foods in moderation to follow the nutrition guidelines you know if you're overweight it'll be reducing consumption if you're underweight it'll be increasing your calories and the reason this persists is because the idea is you cannot ask somebody with a disordered relationship with food to restrict or remove food groups. Like, oh, if you do that, that's going to cause more problems. But here's the deal. <laughs> Disease doesn't care about your feelings. <laughs> Disease, like, that completely ignores the bio, you know, physiological what happens when we eat foods. You know, that's the issue. So, you know, there, everything we eat in our body is information. And certain foods, especially those ultra processed foods, can actually, um, you know, override the brain and body's ability to stop eating them, you know. Um, And for some people, you know, especially people that deal with binge eating disorder or food addiction, they will never be able to eat certain things without, you know, it's like an alcoholic, you know, they will. And so asking that person to do that is literally um, doing them to a lifetime of disease. And that's really unfortunate. And that's really horrible. But we're just taught as dietitians and healthcare professionals that, you know, that's the, that's the only way to treat people is they have to be able to eat everything in moderation. And
1: so, so yeah, when I was a kid struggling with this, I just thought I was a weak person with a poor character.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's what you're told. Like, If you really care, then you would just stop. You would use willpower. And I was told if I really cared that I would just eat. And it's like, I've never met a human being with an eating disorder that is not highly intelligent. You know, that is, so it's like, oh, well, thanks. I didn't think of that. Like, obviously I want to do that. I wouldn't be in this predicament. So in my, my opinion and in my research, um, what we need to do is we need to let the brain and body heal. Like, it, it's so interesting to me that we, we literally had a study. I presented this, at, you know, in Boca, that like people with bulimia or binge eating disorder, anorexia, their GI system is damaged. It's like, well, no yeah. shit. Like if you've been starving yourself or binging and purging, your you know, intestinal epithelium, which you know, so much of um, your you know, neurotransmitters are in your gut. So that is damaged. So if we are going to eat a standard American diet that has lots of flours and sugars and fibers that, and we're putting it into a system that's damaged, well, no wonder a lot of people with eating disorders have bloating and gas you know, and pain and all these problems. And so I remember- so it's not talking, all in your head? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. And that's what you're told, right? Oh, it's all in your head, you know? Um, you know? It's not, it's you're literally in pain. So to me, it makes sense. Like, let's refeed you in a way that for the most nourishment, the least discomfort, you know, and to help your system heal. Because no matter what, you know, you're probably not going to feel, you're going to feel different, you know, if you haven't been eating and you're eating. But if we're giving you food that is low fiber, that is high fat, that is very nutrient dense and absorbable. It's going to keep your blood sugar and energy stable. That isn't going to disrupt your sleep. Um, you know, and I've seen it, you know, I've seen it in the eating disorder community, people going on these very, and and this is not a low calorie diet, you know, this is, you know, three to 5,000 calories if you're underweight. Certainly if you're overweight, you can taper that down, but a very, you know, high fat animal-based diet that for the first time in, a long time, they experienced remission of symptoms. You know, Dr. Um, Sethi Shivani, they wrote, <laughs> they published a really great paper on binge eating disorder. I mean, people with decades long binge eating disorder had complete remission on a ketogenic diet. And, you know, there's, there's many different, um, reasonings behind that, you know, always come back to you're not hungry, your blood sugar is stable, you know, neurotransmitters, your brain's actually functioning. So to me, this whole idea that, oh, that's restrictive. Well, let me tell you what's restrictive. And you and I both know. And anyone who's ever had an eating disorder knows. It's living with an eating disorder, you, you are. You're standing on the sidelines of your own life. It rules every moment of your thoughts. It keeps you from doing things, from going places, from taking careers, from getting into relationships. It's it's horrible. Like, if you, if you had you're told me that I could, you. yeah, change, like... I, I no longer worry, obsess, think about food. It frees up so much of your time and energy. You know, I don't I'm just able to eat and move on. And that's what food should be for everyone. And like you said, like I, I enjoy what I eat, love what I eat, but I don't need to spend every waking minute thinking and obsessing about it.
1: Awesome. That's just for anyone out there who's got friend, family member, kid struggling, you know, I just I love this conversation because. On one hand, it makes me feel so happy because I am recovered. I don't have these issues anymore. But for what you just said, you know, I was in jail in plain sight, and it kind of pisses me off because it didn't matter what nutritionist I went to or what nurse. Like the advice I got sucked, and the press yeah. kept me sick. And I'm just this little kid. I mean, I'm 12. I'm 16. 20. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of time wasted. So. In Dietitian's Dilemma, we've been talking about eating disorders. There are other things, though, and you're a protein proponent, which I love. You talk about sarcopenia. So first, please tell us what that is. And what do we need to know about sarcopenia, how to prevent it? It sounds very scary. Well, um,
0: unfortunately, it is. Evidence. You know, it, it really is. A sarco Well, just the word sarcopenia means muscle wasting. And, you know, after about, you know, the, about the third decade of life, by the time you're about 30, your body just starts to synthesize protein, not as well. And so meaning like whatever protein sources you eat, your body just isn't able to use them quite as effectively. So, you know, if you're a kid and you're young, a lot of kids aren't eating that great. you still might be able to build muscle, maintain muscle. But as you get older, it becomes extra extra important to take in high quality protein, and we're also learning. You know, Dr. Gabriel Lyon is, is fantastic with this. That muscle protein is also um, an organ. It's like it's actually telling our body what to do. You know, as far as like, um, and like an excretory organ, basically helping uh, participating in metabolism, which I think is super interesting. But what is really important, especially as you age. If you are not eating high quality protein, you know we think of our parents and we think of our grandparents. You could potentially start to experience muscle wasting. You know all of a sudden, you know I have patients as early as their 40s that you know were starting to become really, really fat but under muscled. You know they couldn't walk a few steps to the bathroom. You know patients, you know things that maybe you and I take for granted. It's like oh we're able to you know put your pants on, get in the car. You know as you get older, if you if you fall, if you break a hip. You know we know statistically especially if you break a hip you're i think it's like 60 percent of people never regain mobility you know your quality of life is, is is not great and so you know there's a kind of this movement right now in our world and society to eat less meat and to you know all this nonsense which we can probably spend hours talking about how it's just mm-hmm. you know the whole narrative that it's bad for the planet or whatever is just not true but um
1: kind of the message. rogers right <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes Yes. I mean, sacred uh, cows, sacred. Sacred cow a great, great book, great documentary. Um, yeah. And so what are our, our recommended daily, uh, the RDAs for protein are so low, it's like 0.08 per kilogram, you know, it's for, <laughs> if we eat that, we're going to lose muscle. If we eat that and, you know, muscle and protein, isn't just, you know, when we take in protein, it isn't just, um, for muscle building. It's also for hormones. It's for our immune system. It's for our brain functioning. It has so many different um, things in the body. And so, yeah, kind of the take-home message for that is it's a terrible idea to tell any person, in my opinion, to reduce their amount of animal protein. But especially as we age, we need to not only increase our protein, but we need to prioritize it. Meaning when you go into your meals, you really want to make sure you have a solid source of protein, not this dinky two to three ounces. You know, you want to have a good solid portion of, you know, whatever you're eating, whether it's, you know, eggs, meat, cheese.
1: All that good nutrient dense stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, we've talked about the piece of shit, food pyramid and all the stuff that has followed like my plate, et cetera. I mentioned how the, my plate now has, protein, instead of what I think it should say, meat, fish, etc. It's funny, because it literally says fruits and vegetables, grains, dairy, and then this protein, as if all protein is, you know, the same or equal. So, for you, why is that wrong? You know, you, you already mentioned how, you know, we have this message that we should be eating less and less, but what, okay. So we said my plate, what, I know your plates may be a little bit different, but (laughs) (laughs) what, what do you think of my plate and how would you change it? Well, my plate is ridiculous. It's not a
0: human diet. You know, it's, we know it's a diet that I mean, basically it's a, it's a great way. I mean, it's capitalism in its finest is what my point is. It's a great way to make money for um, healthcare institutions, pharmaceuticals, processed foods. Um, And they all kind of, it's interesting to me, you know, just recently a study was released to the Academy of nutrition, the governing board of all dietitians uh, purchased stock into PepsiCo. Like they literally are using our funds, you know? So it's like, they're all tied into it. I think Kraft owns Jenny Craig, you know, it's, so it's a great way to keep people sick. So if you have someone you hate and you want them to be sick, tell them to follow. <laughs> no, yeah, just all joking aside. Um, you know we know car- carbohydrates raise your blood sugar. You know, and when you pr- the what what has carbohydrates? Fruit. There's fruit. There's fruit. You know what has carbohydrates? You know dairy products, milks, yogurts. What has carbohydrates? Grains. You know, so when you have all these carbohydrates on the my plate. You're basically starting with a, you know, starting with an insulin, an insulin response and a blood sugar crash. You're going to want to have more carbohydrates. So it's a, it's a total mess. It doesn't really, and it, like you said, it doesn't differentiate. I mean, you could, you could follow the my plate and have juice, you know, white bread, and tofu <laughs> and, it, and some Doritos and it would tell you that there you go. That's great. Good work. Um, you know, I feel like a, a diet for humans should be, what does the human body need to not just survive? Because that's what, you know, the recommended daily allowances are, yeah. to thrive, thrive. To Tell thrive, to thrive. And so, like? yeah, so that's, you know, ruminant animals are some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, ruminant animals, um, because of how, um, you know, their bodies process grass. Ruminant animals are, you know, cows, uh, buffalo, bison, lamb, um, and so, you know, that, that's what my plate looks like. You want to have quite a bit of protein, you know, protein has so many different functions in the body. I feel like it should be, <laughs> it needs to be prioritized. So having, you know, animal meats, having animal fats, having animal organs, you know, in this country, we don't really eat organs and, uh, beginning, being able, and you don't need a ton, but having, you know, an ounce, uh, no, an sure. ounce a day, no. an ounce a day would be a great, um, and that can be heart, liver, kidney. Um, and then, um, and certainly, you know, it doesn't have to just be meat people, uh, you know, if you like fish, salmon, mackerel, there's so many different seafoods, oysters, clams, um, and then, you know, and then, you know, I don't, uh, some people like vegetables. I don't use a ton of vegetables. I do eat some carrots and some mushrooms and things, but there's kind of been this like, oh, all vegetables are good for you all the time. Really eat, you know, I eat salads, all this stuff. Well, when you, when you do that, you know, a lot of people that you, know, like you said, we grew up in the nineties the with all this fat free craze, you know, if humans just eat a ton of salads that doesn't provide a whole lot of nutrition. You know, your body, the human body doesn't use a lot of nutrition from plant sources very well. So if you want to eat vegetables, that's great, <clears throat> but I'd make sure that they don't crowd out the other really important things in your, your nutrition plan. So, so how my plate would be for, for the world <laughs> would be mostly meat and fat and certainly like, you know, and that that includes fish, that includes eggs, that includes, you know, uh, animal-based nutrient-dense foods. And then, you know, for the whole foods, carbohydrates, you know, seasonal fruits, um, raw fermented dairies. um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you are very active, I certainly think you're fine having some of those other whole food carbohydrates, whether that's a you know, potatoes, rice, um, but those would be a very small <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately those would be for us metabolically healthy humans, which like we said at the beginning of this podcast is about seven, 7% of the U S
1: 7%. Well, listen to that. Y'all, this is a heretic. I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, you, like, if you tried to teach this, you could not teach this in the, um, you know, in the, in the hospital setting, which is really unfortunate.
1: No, it's, uh, it's something, and you know what, folks? You can try it, try it. You're not gonna drop dead. Michelle's still alive, I'm still alive. And if what you're doing is working for you, then by all means, keep going. But I'm pretty sure that 93% of people, it's not working for them. So um, back to dietitian's dilemma. One of my favorite topics is cholesterol. I love mm-hmm. cholesterol. My prior episode was called the Boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> nice, blamed for everything, as you know, Michelle. Yes. So, what do you have to say about cholesterol? Should we fear well, just
0: cholesterol in <laughs> general? Yeah, <laughs> it's How so funny. You just it, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, oh, you even even the nutrition guidelines as terrible as they are actually have removed cholesterol. Cause they're like, ah, crap, there's not, we're wrong. There's no Good evidence point. that, that you dietary they cholesterol. That. <laughs> yeah. They, there was just so much overwhelming evidence that it's like, no, it doesn't matter how much dietary cholesterol you eat. You're, you're going to make some in your blood. I mean, even, you know, cholesterol is only um, in animal products. So it's like even the fact that vegans even had, you know, cholesterol, <laughs> it was like, oh crap, I guess we don't need the, to, to worry about that. But there is, you know, people really worry about um, LDL, you know, LDL. Uh, when I was a dietitian, I was told that LDL is the bad cholesterol, HDL is the good cholesterol. And that is one thing that when you go on a ketogenic or low carb diet, you know, most people are going to see a pretty um, solid rise in their LDL cholesterol. And so, of course, that's one thing that keeps doctors from recommending like, oh, no, these low carb diets are bad. they causing high LDL and high LDL causes heart disease. You know, if you just look at LDL in a vacuum, I mean, that's what you would think. You were like, okay, you know, people with heart disease often have high LDL. But the issue is uh, like, you know, we now we have so many research studies and I point out some several in the dietitian's dilemma that people with higher LDLs actually have better health outcomes. And for our oh, elderly, especially. I cannot see. But- Yeah, it was like for for the the lower their LDL went, the higher the risk of infection they had. LDL actually appears to be protective in um, your immune system, very important component of the immune system. So then the question becomes like, okay, well, then why in the world do we see LDL in clogged arteries? Like, because that's what they thought, that's what doctors thought, that's what Ansel Keys and everybody thought. They said, okay, high LDL in the blood, it's getting stuck in your arteries, it's causing heart disease. But the question people forgot to ask was why is it getting stuck in your arteries? Because, you know, if you look at a population like the Inuit Eskimos, um, they ate 80% fat whale blubber and they have zero heart disease. Their LDLs are some of the highest levels out there. I'm talking like starting at like 500 (laughs) and they have no heart disease. So it's like, so something has to happen to that high LDL because on its own, it's not causing any problems.
1: Dig exactly. fat nothing.
0: Yep. And so, and so that's where that's why we always have to keep asking questions. When things don't make sense and I would encourage anybody to do this, ask your doctor, ask your dietitian. If they cannot answer the question for you, then maybe <laughs> I was going to say find a new doctor or dietitian, but they should be able to answer your question or, or at least go say, "Okay, let me let me research this." Um, but anyway, the number one cause of, um, you know, hardening of the arteries, or I guess the number one cause, you have to have some type of inflammation or oxidation for LDL to get stuck in your arteries. And the number one cause of that is high blood sugar over time, is type two diabetes, is all these processed carbohydrates. That's why it's also sad story. The Inuit Eskimos, zero heart disease. Now that, you know, westernization has come in and they eat a lot of processed carbohydrates, the combination of a high carbohydrate diet and high LDL is deadly. That will kill you quickly you know because now you have that high blood sugar you have those damaged arteries and that's what gets stuck you know that's how fat gets stuck in your arteries so anyway on its own you know i'm not worried my ldl is very high um but you know my that's why you can't look at it in a vacuum you need to look at what is my blood sugar what is my a1c that's your blood sugar over time what are my triglycerides what is my fasting insulin looking at all those things together. Because um, once again, LDL on its own is actually a good thing to have it a little bit on the higher side, and I think we're going to have more studies. You know, Dave Feldman is conducting several studies on this. Um, it hopefully will come out relatively soon. Because right now, it seems like if you come into a doctor's office with high LDL, they're required to prescribe you a statin, which is, you know, we could go down that road. But statins, you know, statistically, are pretty
1: ineffective. Yes. Oh, my. I've talked about statins on the boogeyman episode. Mm-hmm. Um, regarding LDL and statins, I was seeking recently a new healthcare provider. And I ended up after my visit with this person who shall remain nameless, getting a text from my local pharmacy that my prescription was ready to pick up. Excuse mm. me. So this person had called in a prescription for statins for my uh, 140, very high, deadly LDL with my fasting insulin of three. So I, as you said, you know, you might consider severing or find severing your relationship with or finding a new provider, which is exactly what I did. I was actually offended that I would have this called in because there was no discussion of this, by the way, that's what I failed to say. It was just waiting for me to be picked up. So if there's no discussion of it, how could I know about all the side effects? And, you know, now I feel that this person, I know too much to go and pick that prescription up, but someone else would say, well, yeah, he wants me to take this. So I'll just take it. And, you know, never mind my, you know, Brain function, or joint function, or immune cell function—I'll just pop this pill, and I, I feel like that's you know that's another one of those areas where I have great issue in healthcare, and that's that's the cholesterol boogeyman. So thank you for sharing knowledge on that. It doesn't have to come from me. You have the registered dietitian background, so not everyone is in agreement with this, folks. So as we come to a close here, Michelle, I am curious if you could let our audience know just to keep it simple, one thing that each person could consider doing or do to improve health, what would that one thing do? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I think the
0: most important thing to do Because I think we all, there's a lot of people out there that like know that there's certain things in their life that are not good, you know, like, oh, my health isn't good. This isn't good. But I think if you can get, get away from everybody for like an hour, you know, whether you go to Starbucks or somewhere and just sit and have some like radical honesty with yourself, you know, like really, I think it helps to kind of start by kind of assessing your situation. You know, because some people just will start with some kind of arbitrary goals. Like, how, I need to lose some weight," or "Yeah, I should, I should do this," or whatever. But I think, like, for me, you know, that <laughs> to him, ice bath was kind of like,
1: a, kind of like, Jesus, like <laughs> that. This is really, really
0: bad. Like, my life is really, really bad. Um, and um, and you know, that next day, I took some time to just write down like what is really bad, like, and and it's not, and it's, and this isn't like, oh, I suck, I'm a terrible person, but just like things in my life that like, I had to take a step back and be like, wow, like I'm, I'm really short with my wife. I'm not being a great partner. I am anxious all the time. I'm, my body hurts. Like, and, and when you see all this stuff sometimes, because sometimes too, it's like, we think like, oh, maybe it's not that bad. I don't, you know, I can keep going. When I like saw this list, I was like, wow, like this is, I really need to change, you know, cause I do think you have to get sold before you're going to make like sustainable change. Like you really have to kind of feel it. Like this is, this is a big deal. And so if you can get by yourself and just really list out like, this is where I'm at. And then, you know, and certainly if you want to, you know, you can, this is where I want to be. And that's also why I think it's nice to work with a health coach or somebody to be like, here's where I am. Can you help me get here? You know, cause ultimately we need a goalpost. I don't think we can have like arbitrary goals but I do think the first thing is just really being honest with your situation. And that's hard to do. A lot of people don't want to do that. We don't want to look in the mirror and be like, ooh, I've let this get kind of
1: bad. I love that. I thought you were going to say eat more meat. <laughs>
0: well, you know, I'm always a fan of, of animal-based protein. But but yeah, I mean, if you eat more meat and you're still, you know, not sure like why, I think I think you've got to start. And I mean, everyone says like, know your why, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. even before that, just like, ask that, like where am I now? You know, like be really honest and like, don't ask anybody. Don't, you know, don't ask your friend or your spouse or like, what do you think? No, like this is you, this is just you versus you. Um, Because I think when you do that and you sit down, you know, I think a lot of times, like I know I was surprised and I knew my health wasn't great. But when I started listing out some of those things, I was like, my God, like, yeah, I need to get my act together.
1: <laughs> you know? Like, come I'm on, Michelle, on paper. you know you're 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 sitting with it you're putting it out there now you can see it that's that's terrific advice
0: well and then it think about like and another thing and this is something my father told me when i was a much younger human and i've seen it play out um many times in my life and certainly you know my low carb journey um he said your life can look totally different in six months like totally different and in that case, you know, within six months of starting my low carb journey, you know, the body's in pain, my mind, everything was a mess. Within six months, you know, my my health drastically improved. And like you said, if you have, you know, if you need to lose three hundred pounds, two hundred pounds, like you're <laughs> not going to do that in six months. But think about like where your mindset will be, where your friendships, your you know, your partnerships will be, where your your professional life will be, where your, you know, just your physical health will be. Like things can everything in your life can dramatically improve when you start to change, like, you know, I mean, one, just how you eat, but when you start to change how you eat, it changes how you think, it changes how you show up in the world. So yeah.
1: Awesome. Y'all radical self-honesty and having that. Why so important. That's a intrinsic motivator. I love it. Okay, Michelle, what have I not asked you or mentioned?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, the only other thing I could tell you is my my next project. I'm working on something called the Protein Project. And oh, we yeah. are, yeah, we are um, working with A Day Fox. Um, and we are trying to raise money to for food banks right now, especially that we're recording this around the holidays and people in need of food, especially emergency food boxes, are given some of the lowest quality food possible. So we are working on getting animal-based foods into food banks, uh, homeless shelters, and yeah, we're just, uh, you know, we've got a GoFundMe up. I was, I was hoping to make it a 501c3, but, you know, our federal government, all their wisdom and the IRS makes it incredibly difficult to get that done. So we're just going to uh, run with it as a, as a GoFundMe and uh, just kind of see how that goes.
1: And how do we find that on GoFundMe? Um, I will have to get you the link. So, right. yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, I'll send that to you if you can I'll put it in the show notes. I'd really appreciate that. I
1: will. So, Michelle, tell us how to find you. We're going to, I'll put in the show notes how to go fund protein. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I'm most active on Instagram at run, eat, meet, repeat. You can get my book, The Dietitian's Dilemma on Amazon. We've got the paperback, we've got an ebook, and the Audible. Um, on Twitter, Michelle Hearn RD, I've got the website, the dietitian's dilemma and yeah, and then I'll put the GoFundMe, um, you know, reducing food insecurity with animal-based protein.
1: I love it. It's awesome. I love that you're doing that too. Some of the most vulnerable populations need protein the most. That is awesome. Y'all thank you so much for tuning in. Michelle, you can see why I admire her greatly. Please follow her. Please fund the Protein Project. Please buy her book. This is awesome. It's chock-full. Another thing I didn't mention, one of my favorite things here at the end are your success stories.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of
1: great testimonials in there. Yeah, it's awesome. So y'all find me at Nourishment Mindset on Instagram, Dixie Huey on LinkedIn or favorfat.com. And please let us know what you think. And as I said, again, please support Michelle Hearn and her projects. It's been a real pleasure to have you on today, and I wish you the best. Thank you for having such an inspiring rebel voice, and I hope to see you at the next conference. Awesome. Thank you so much again for having me. All right.